0: Hello, race fans, and welcome back to the Gravity Co-Op's Hot Seat Podcast, your home for the people and the stories that fuel U.S. downhill racing. We're the crew that brings you the downhill race replay shows from Downhill Southeast, U.S. National Championships, the Monster Energy Pro Downhill Series, and other top races across North and Central America. I'm Will Washam. I'm your co-host, back here with Drew Hager drew great to be back with you for episode number three how are you
1: i'm doing good will how has your week been
0: it's been a good week i don't know what day of the week it is i'm just trying to get through january we've almost made it so maybe things will calm down at work a little bit in february but they'll be heating up on the downhill race front
1: that's true and hey you know what we are a month and a half away from daylight savings time i'm counting down the days
0: me too brother me too Well, uh, what's been going on out there on the Newswire
1: regarding uh, downhill racing as we work our
0: way through this preseason?
1: Well, it's still team announcement season. It's probably been the longest team announcement season that I can remember. But uh, yeah, our two-time U.S. national champion and World Cup podium contender, Dakota Norton, he's been the final rider announced on the Mondraker factory racing team.
0: Yes, heard that as well. And, yeah, I'll say I've actually really been enjoying uh, Dakota Norton's podcast on the Vital B Practice podcast. It's funny I say actually, like, for some reason you wouldn't enjoy that. Let's, let me rephrase that. I've really been enjoying it. Um, yeah, those guys do an awesome job. And Dakota takes you backstage and listen to his kind of recount of his uh, signing and going to the new team on that podcast earlier this week. And sounds like he's ready to make some waves, Drew.
1: Yeah, I agree. I listened to that as well. And I got to say, he sounds pretty amped about the season. And I don't just mean like, yeah, hey, I'm on a new team. I need to sound excited. Like, I think the boy's got plans and I'm looking forward to see him sign off on them. He's got big plans.
0: I agree. Well, and I've heard some other big news recently. Um, And this is a digger team announcement for bike park diggers. Max Beaupre. Yeah, you know, he's been a hot digger team member, uh, starting out on the Riveter Dig Squad, then getting picked up by Rock Creek uh, in Canuga, building trails in Western North Carolina. But true, he signed with a new bike park this year. Uh, big pickup for Aaron Gwyn because Max Beaupre is on the dig team at Wind Rock Bike Park.
1: Heck yeah! You know Max is one of those dudes that is uh, energy's infectious, and I I wish I had half the energy that he at least pretends that he has. And I know that Windrock's just going to shine more and more because of it. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to take his trail building to the next level with it, too. Good all around.
0: Yeah, I agree. And they posted some content this week tuning up the Windmill Trail, um, like the epic OG trail from the top drop at Windrock for the Tennessee National Enduro. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, maybe some of the GCO bros need to contest that race. I don't think we're covering that enduro. We we're, we're off that weekend, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> Consider this a challenge to the Gravity Cooperative, so you can go out there and uh, put down a good race result.
1: The, the problem with that, Will, is that uh, the two of us that are 40 plus, uh, I guess the three of us that are 40 plus, uh, Mangler is going to wipe our faces with it. So it, <laughs> I'm not going to sign up for a race I know I'm going to lose. <laughs>
0: Well, I've got a little secret weapon that I'm building up for bike season this year. I'm not going to be able to get to the Tennessee National and ride it, but, you know, weather's been horrible, can't ride bikes, so I've been working on a bike build. Uh, I've got a brand new giant rain frame, and I just picked up, I didn't pick up, but I just put in my SRAM RockShox order for some parts. I got some code brakes coming, got a Zeb fork coming, so... Uh, it'll be a Rock Creek and a Wilson Creek slaying machine. Full bike check will be posted on the GCO YouTube channel later this year.
1: Nice. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i putting the final touches on my new bike build as well. I'm kind of going the opposite direction. I've got a, a Fox and Shimano XT group on it, and I just got a brand new Cannondale Jekyll. It's going to be my first big travel 29er. Being a short guy, I've stayed on the... Except for my XC bikes and trail bikes, I've I've stayed with 27.5 for for park bikes and and longer travel mm-hmm. bikes. But you know those those days are gone. Those options have dried up, and I've come to realize that that technology is for a reason. And so I got one, and I went full on with one that has an idler wheel and everything. Sounds like party laps are going to heat up uh, yeah. with the Gravity Cooperative Crew. So yeah, look forward to seeing
0: that, Bill Ben. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, let's talk about this interview that uh, we have to talk about this week. This is one that you conducted.
0: Yeah, uh, actually, my first official podcast interview. Very stoked to have elite women's shredder Maisie Hayden on the show um, with my wife, Caroline, being an elite level downhill racer from 2016 to 2022. I've gotten to know a lot of the top female pros. All of them are awesome people and even better bike riders. Maisie's no exception and she's put an incredible resume together from really the short time she's been on the scene uh, starting back in 2017 as a 17-year-old junior um, all the way to her first Elite National Championships medal that she won in 2022. She's accomplished a lot already and she's only 23 years of age, Drew, coming into this season and for being so young she's taken on a new challenge this year and that is running her own all-female downhill race team.
1: Man, I'm looking forward to hearing this one,
0: Will. Well, let's go check it out. And here we go to Maisie Hayden. Well, I'm here with two-time Junior World Cup downhill podium finisher, four-time Eastern States Cup Pro Women's Series overall champion, and 2022 USA Cycling Pro Women's Downhill National Championship bronze medalist, Maisie Hayden. Maisie, how are you? It's so good to have you on the Gravity Co-Ops Hot Seat Podcast.
2: I'm doing great. It's great to be here with you, Will. And thank you for that very comprehensive intro.
0: I wanted to do my research. And when you've got credentials, (laughs) it's it's worth saying them. I appreciate it. Well, we were chatting before um, today, setting this podcast up that you've never been on a podcast. And I've actually never hosted a full podcast interview, so I'm hoping we get some beginner's luck on this one.
2: Me too. Me too. At, at the very least, it'll be a learning mm-hmm. experience, so either way, I'm stoked.
0: Me too, and I, I was thinking about it. It's kind of like the first time you ride a trail. Sometimes, the first time I get on a new trail, I mean, I just absolutely rip it, and I nail it, and I might not ever do it that good again, so I'm wondering if we might do that here on this podcast.
2: Yeah, it'll, it'll be the perfect run.
0: Love it. Well, tell everybody out there listening yeah, who you are, where you're from, and uh, who you're racing for this season, since this is a, a downhill race-focused podcast.
2: All right. Um, I'm Maisie Hayden. I am a downhill mountain biker and skier, uh, a Vermont native, and this year I'm going to be racing for GT Wild Rye Racing which I am incredibly stoked about.
0: Yes, I can't wait to get into all the details of the new GT Wild Rye Racing Program. But you're in Vermont right now, and you just showed me a picture of what it looked like outside, but tell everybody at home if they're down south or out west, uh, what does it look like outside in Vermont right now on January 27th when we're recording this?
2: Well, there's definitely a good couple feet of snow, and... I mean, usually there's even more than that at this time of year. This is kind of a slow year for snow, and we've gotten a lot of rain. But yeah, no no dirt in sight at the moment, at least up at Killington.
0: That's wild. I've, I've seen a couple feet of snow um, when I was in college uh, at Appalachian <laughs> State. But even there in the mountains of North Carolina, it melts off pretty quick. I mean, we had a couple weeks, you know, with snow on the ground, but... The green grass is always just right below poking up, and I mean, if it snowed that much in Charlotte, North Carolina, it would shut down for a month.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I do remember the little bit of snow that we got when I was in Brevard, like shut down the roads, and it was just one or two inches, so that was insane to me to witness as a Vermonter.
0: Well, what are you doing these days, kind of in the dead of winter, to keep active, just work-wise or uh, for fun, physical activity? What do you do in the snow?
2: Um, Well, I I do go out downhill skiing. I haven't a huge amount this year because the conditions haven't been fantastic. And then I've also been getting into cross-country skiing, which is a lot of fun and a lot of pain. Really good workout. And then I also rock climb pretty frequently. Great indoor activity to do in the winter up here.
0: Yeah, rock climbing's awesome. I, I actually hit the the gym we've got an indoor wall in mooresville north carolina where i live uh pretty Mm -hmm. extensive and i was climbing with a junior downhiller austin hazley um he was the downhill southeast junior champion last year we got a little competitive uh so i pushed myself (laughs) i used to climb in college and and i hit a a boulder line that he wasn't able to get um and i was sore for a week and a half i mean just couldn't (laughs) close the hands so i could see how that's a great cross training
2: what grade was it though i mean a v3 Nice, nice.
0: Yeah, I think. I think it was a V3. I'm not giving myself any more than a V3. No, that, that, that's respectable. Well, it's cold in Vermont, snowy in Vermont, and mm-hmm. anywhere else on the East Coast, if you're not covered in snow, everything is super saturated. We've had, we were in a drought in North Carolina, but now we're out. But if you think about it, we're only a handful of weeks away from the downhill race season. Uh, the Costa Rica Open which is back for, I believe it's fourth year this year, is only three weeks away. And there's a lot of U.S. racers going down there to the sun and the sand and the fun down there at the Costa Rica Open. And then the first East Coast downhill race of the season is only five weeks away. Uh, trials Training Center opening round of downhill southeast. Um, so let's, let's jump in and talk about racing to try to get away from the cold a little bit. And let's talk more about GT um, Wild Rye, your brand new team for this year. Um, so tell us about the team and tell us about the partners that came together to make it possible.
2: Yeah. So GT, obviously I've been on them for quite a few years at this point, And it's my tried and true. I love working with them. So I'm super stoked to continue doing that. And then Wild Rye is a, a new, new brand company for slash company for me to... Uh, work with, but I am incredibly excited about that partnership because getting the opportunity to work with a women owned company that is creating products for women is just such a cool thing and such a rare thing in the sporting industry as well. So I think that pairing is, I I really couldn't think of anything better.
0: Yeah and I was so excited when I saw the news drop like I immediately commented I'm like we have to talk about this I got to find out more and I want to know well how did the team come about have you been kind of thinking about this for a couple years that you might want to put together your own team or did this just kind of percolate up last year were you inspired by other teams how this thing come together.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's been something I've been uh, planning for years, but I've definitely had uh, little ideas for it. It just never really felt super feasible. I mean, it's hard to create a team from the ground up, but this year it just worked out perfectly with me transitioning out of Defiant. And uh, yeah, I, I was definitely inspired by Beyond Racing, Abby and Anna, which I would probably credit as the first all-female mountain bike team in the U.S. that I know of, at least, in in my time. And, yeah, they're they're definitely a really big inspiration to me, and I, I want to take this team to the level that that team is at.
0: Awesome. Yeah, Abby and Anna have set a great example and was super stoked to see them come over to North Carolina for the national championships. And with Anna being the defending national champion, One would assume I haven't talked to them, but that they're going to come back so she can defend that win. And Abby was right there, uh, almost, almost got a win in dual slalom. So I I think they'll both be hungry to come back over. At least I hope.
2: Yeah. I I don't know myself, but I would, I would say that that's a safe assumption.
0: Well, you mentioned Defiant racing and Mm -hmm. you were on obviously riding GT bikes with Defiant racing for the past four seasons. What did you learn from that experience on Defiant about putting a team together? And while you were on Defiant Racing, who were some of your favorite teammates?
2: I mean, I love all my teammates from Defiant, of course, but uh, obviously, uh, I feel like Steve Estabrook is one of like the core Defiant guys. Like I think when people think of Defiant, they often would think of Steve because he's just uh, he was on Defiant for so long, and he was a a great mentor to me coming up in ESC, even before I was on Defiant. So I was, when I got on the team, I was, I think most excited to be on the team with Steve and then obviously uh, Titus is a fun, awesome dude to ride with. And I got to go to junior world cups with him way back in the day. So he was awesome to be on the team with and then, uh, yeah the juniors are great. I I really, I love all of them.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's a crew that, I mean, they punch above their weight class at defiant racing. They're all up and down the East coast with the new monster energy national series. I, I have a sneaky suspicion. They'll have a presence at those as well, just based on what I've seen because they're at almost every downhill Southeast and I mean, it's like a multi-day drive (laughs) to some of those events. What did you kind of learn about putting together a team structure from from that team and kind of the support they were able to provide?
2: Uh, Defiant had great organization, has great organization with um, Aaron and, and Phil, the mechanic, and uh, Joey, the team manager. They were just always really on top of social media, creating content, and really making sure that we were... Meeting the promises that we made uh, to our sponsors and doing team dinners and stuff was a huge part of Defiant. So I I definitely am going to carry that over into my new team. That community sense, I think, is really important and something that Defiant does really well.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm not going to waste any more time because I've got to know (laughs) who are the riders on GT Wild Rye?
2: We have myself, Maisie Hayden, and then Riley Miller, who I am incredibly stoked on. Was that your guess? I have to know.
0: That was my guess. Yes.
2: Okay. And then Sarah Hamlin as our new up and coming junior writer. Awesome. And then we'll be having um, an amateur slash cat one component to the team as well.
0: Cool. So and we'll, we'll talk about Riley a little bit more, because obviously I, I've known Riley for years. But tell me a little bit more about Sarah Hamlin. I recognize the name, mm-hmm. but yeah, you say she's up and coming. Will she be in the 17, 18 juniors this year?
2: Uh, her racing age is 16 this year. I'm 98% sure. Not 100%, but <laughs> I can't re- quite remember her birthday. She is moving up to pro in ESC and mm-hmm. has been winning the amateur or Cat 1 junior category. She recently switched to the Cat 1 junior category consistently and handily. And she had some good national results as well this year. And I actually used to coach her at KMS. So she's a Killington local. And Riley also went to KMS, where I also coached her.
0: Riley burst onto the Junior World Cup scene in 2022. You know, us back here in the United States knew she had so much game and was ready to take on that challenge and was building some great momentum. She came back and won national championships again in Winter Park for her uh, age 17 season. And yeah, was looking great at those World Cups, kind of getting her feet underneath her and didn't have the best into that first season. She was a DNS in Snowshoe and a DNS at the final round at Mont Saint-Anne. Um, but then she came back in 2023 and really came out swinging. She took a step back as far as her racing program went, kind of went more with the Killington mountain school crew. Um, and, and maybe just took a little pressure off herself because her results just started to improve, of course, culminating with that podium at Leo gang. So yeah, we're super excited to see her on the team and, and, uh, see what she can do this year. How'd you manage to get her on GT wild rye?
2: I mean, to be honest, I thought that it would be a lot harder sell when I reached out to her. I was like, oh, I'm I'm probably not going to get Riley because she's obviously such a git. And she was super enthusiastic right off the bat, was like, yes, I, I would love to do that. And I, I think the program might be appealing to her because it's not obviously yet at the uh, factory level, which also means that Potential mental hang-ups that come with that expectations aren't aren't there in the same way Um, You know, it's 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 a team that I created I I I hope and I think that she knows that I'm I'm not going to ask anything of her that's too much or Expect anything of her that she doesn't want or feel that she she can deliver. So I just want to make her feel Comfortable and give her a positive team environment. That's that's really my goal. And I yeah, I think she responded to that
0: Awesome. Yeah, we we had her down at downhill southeast. She was at the Rock Creek round last year So we were able to uh, get her on the replay show and she was just a touch behind Miranda Miller for taking Mm -hmm. the win at that race and was just looking super comfortable on on the track at Rock Creek which is like a true modern downhill track it's got a lot of support in the corners it's got some big committed moves it seems like she really excels at those kind of tracks
2: yeah yeah she's fantastic at dealing with those I those are the kind of tracks I struggle with the most so maybe maybe she'll end up helping me with that another thing to look forward to
0: Ah, an astute move by the team manager
2: (laughs) always thinking that that was the motivation all along (laughs)
0: Well, and actually, I want to talk a little bit about your role on the team. So you've obviously put the GT Wild Rye program together, um, but you did mention yourself as one of the racers. So are you kind of pulling double duty as uh, team manager and racer for 2024?
2: Um, a bit, yeah. I I do have uh, my lovely father helping me as kind of an executive assistant, um, since I do work full-time and also have ADD, so... <laughs> I have support in that way, but um yes, te- technically I will be the team manager.
0: Cool, cool. Shout out to Papa Hayden.
2: Yeah. He's the best. Always
0: been holding it down. <laughs> Had some interesting conversations with him in the finished corrals over the years <laughs> when I've been announcing. I'm I'm sure. <laughs> and he's he's an awesome dog dad or dog granddad, I guess as well, oh, yeah. cuz he's always yes. chilling with Rudy down there past few years. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he he loves Rudy more than pretty much anything, I think.
0: Well, before we kind of move into like your backstory, I do want to ask another question about Wild Rye Mm -hmm. because I I have heard of the, the brand, you know, with Caroline, my wife, obviously being um, a racer and, and being in the industry. But yeah, where, where are they, I guess, where have they been as a brand? When did they, when were they founded and kind of where are they going with their line of products?
2: I honestly do not know the year they were founded. That's something.
0: Well, they they've been around to look for a up while. And remember. I know yeah. that cuz I remember hearing about them maybe in 2017, 18.
2: Yeah. I, I I think they've been around for closer to a decade, but not positive. And uh, they they make clothing for biking, general outdoor clothing, streetwear, and it's it's all made for women and designed specifically for women's bodies, which as I'm sure, you know, is a very uncommon thing in the mountain bike industry, especially downhill specific clothing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And getting the pads and the pants and, and everything. So yeah, cool. Well stoked to see the kits that you guys have this year. I think that'll be really fun to follow.
2: Yeah. I am also stoked to see the kits. It's going to be really exciting.
0: Sweet. Well, I want to rewind the clock back a bit. You and I met in 2018, but you kind of busted on the scene out of nowhere, to be honest, for someone like me (laughs) from North Carolina. And I'd been in the downhill scene for a while, but we weren't really getting up to the Northeast much. And then all of a sudden you just busted onto the scene. And I think you beat Caroline at a pro GRT at Mountain Creek. And she's like, who, who are these girls? I think it was you and Samantha Soriano. I think you guys were oh, both 18 Sam. at the time. Yeah. But I want to know just kind of what was your background coming into to mountain sport growing up? You know, you've obviously grown up in the shadow of Killington Peak, essentially. But did you get into mountain biking early? Was that your first mountain sport?
2: It was definitely not my first. Skiing was. I, uh, I started skiing when I was two and a half at the ski daycare at Killington. I think I got in a mountain bike for the first time when I was probably seven, I'm guessing, and to be honest, for the first few years of biking, I absolutely hated it because I only ever did cross country and I was not a big cardio fan at that point in my life. And then uh, when I was at KMS, my coach had us do downhilling, uh, as cross training when I was around 14 or 15. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is, this is really fun. I I get it now.
0: Awesome. And so you said cross training. So you were serious into ski racing by the time you were 14 years old.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For, for people who don't know KMS, uh, stands for Killington mountain school. And it's a, Primarily a ski Academy. They also have a bike program or a downhill biking program now um, So I went there for high school just to ski just to ski Yeah, and and also to do high school, but yeah. <laughs> mostly this mostly the skiing part
0: Well that actually answered a question I had because I was wondering you know, down here in North Carolina when you're in high school like, You know the big thing is high school football or basketball, but I mean is ski racing like one of the top sports in that area of Vermont. Is that like, is ski racing a big deal up there?
2: I mean, it's, it's definitely a really big deal. I would say almost everyone skis recreationally, but financially speaking, being a ski racer or a competitor in skiing in any way is, is a lot. So it, it's kind of prohibitive in that sense. Which is part of the reason why I no longer ski race. Yeah. So it, it is it is a huge part of the culture, but not everyone has the opportunity, unfortunately, to be able to compete in it.
0: Yeah, and, and you did a lot of, of competing and I actually look at your looked at your FISE background oh. before this. I just just wanted to look up the stats and I mean it was really impressive. But like kinda walk us through like how you ramped up to international ski racing, because you were doing international ski racing at the same time that you were doing high level downhill racing.
2: Yeah, yeah, that that was a crazy time. Um, so I started doing ski cross when I was nine, and did USASA races, which kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of something analogous to that in biking. Um, maybe just like junior categories at like an ESC or a downhill Southeast, it's kind of, it's, it's similar to that. I would go to nationals every year for that. And yeah, the fist age is 16. So that's when I could start doing Norams and World Cups and other fist races. So up until that point, I was just kind of biding my time from like 13 to 16 because there wasn't much competition to be had. Ski cross is not the most popular form of ski racing, especially in the U.S. So I was kind of just waiting for that international competition. And once I got it, it wasn't. It, it didn't take too long to get points for me to be able to enter a World Cup.
0: So it looks like your first foray into the ski cross World Cup was around 2020. Hmm.
2: I, I actually did my first ski World Cup in 2018, I believe. Um in Nikiska, Canada. But I I think there was like a gap, which is probably why. I, I don't think I did one in 2019. I can't remember.
0: What was the difference that you noticed transitioning from the North American races to the Ski Cross World Cup?
2: It was a significant jump. Not a, a lot of the people that I raced against at the Nikiska World Cup, which was my first World Cup, were people that I had raced against before. Obviously not a few of the Europeans, but r- really the biggest difference is the course. The The course was so, so much bigger than any ski cross course I'd ever been on before. And you got much, much less training than I'd ever gotten before on a course. So that combo was incredibly intimidating and yeah, uh, a lot to deal with at, at once. Um, so I I was very happy just to finish that race.
0: Bigger, steeper, less training. It sounds a lot like what we hear from folks that transition from us downhill racing to downhill world cup racing. Was your first ski cross world cup before or after your first junior downhill mountain bike world cup?
2: I, I believe I'd already done my first, uh, junior Bike World Cup, which is really funny now that I think about it. Um, And yeah, it, it is definitely a very, very similar jump. It, it, it's just a whole nother ball game, longer, bigger, scarier, more competition, yeah, less training, which is maybe one of the hardest things about it, honestly, that, that might be the hardest piece.
0: So Maisie, when you were ski racing, this was not the downhill that we see in the Olympics or like the slalom that Michaela Schifrin does. You said this is ski cross. Is this akin to four cross mountain biking?
2: It is pretty much exactly the same thing as four cross (laughs) mountain biking, just a bit longer and on snow and obviously without any uh, rocky features or anything like that. But yeah, four people go down At once, and the course consists of banked corners, jumps, rollers, uh, and the top two advance to the next heat. So, yeah, four cross on skis.
0: And I'll say, I, I know about ski cross when I was younger. You know, Sean Palmer was a huge idol of mine, just border cross legend. I know Sean. Got to meet him at Sea Otter one time, highlight of my life. Um, he actually comes mm-hmm. around Mooresville occasionally cause he has NASCAR ties, um, where I'm from in North Carolina. It's like the headquarters of all the NASCAR teams, but I had a secret dream to race border cross, but I, you know, was born in North Carolina, so not ideal. I got to do one border cross race in college Oh yeah. and it was so fun at Appalachian Ski Mountain. It was like a 30 second course. They basically just put some poles in the terrain park. But, um, I looked at some of the courses you were racing, you know, took a little journey through the Instagram time machine and those rhythm sections were gnarly. They, uh,
2: they're, they're so much fun. I'm assuming you're probably like talking about a lot of the starts too, with like the crazy weird features where you have a really steep lip and then like pick up your skis really fast and match the backside. Mm -hmm. Those... Those kind of starts were always my favorite, the the fast foot ones. They're so much fun.
0: Did that translate into your biking? It looks like it would.
2: I I definitely think so. Um, Even with cornering, I feel like it does. And pumping, especially, it definitely translated pretty well, which is also probably why I went weirdly fast at first when I was an amateur but was also incredibly loose (laughs) um hopefully that's calmed down a bit since then I I fell a lot so I I I, uh was comfortable I think with that level of speed from ski cross uh but didn't have all of the mountain bike skills yet to back it up at that point in time
0: the whole braking part
2: yeah yeah that that was kind of problematic for me
0: Well, before we jump into biking, you know, I I was looking at the results and you did your biggest year ever with ski cross in 2020, you did 19 FIS events, but then that was kind of the end of ski cross for you. Was that because of the pandemic? Was that because of other reasons? Or was it a combination of both of those?
2: It was, it was definitely a combo. Um, it was the, the pandemic made, made things a lot harder. Um, what was supposed to be my last Junior Worlds ever, like, got canceled right before I was supposed to leave for it. Travel was difficult, but I, I was still able, like you said, to do quite a few races. Even in uh, 21, I think I did, or late 2020 to maybe January 21, I, I did a few in Europe. But I just kind of realized that or my goal was always to go to the Olympics and as i got older i was like yeah that's really cool but what what then it's so hard to get any kind of support in ski cross and i was dropping way more money than i had or that my family had on it and i just couldn't keep doing that anymore when even if i had gone to the olympics um really the best case scenario would be a, a little bit of recognition and the the pride in having gone it it is practically impossible to make a career out of unfortunately
0: yeah yeah it makes sense um but that's also really encouraging you know for us in the downhill world to know that you know i think a lot of times you know downhill racers and folks in the scene are like man it's just so hard to make it and get support but We're getting more support to race downhill bicycles than you are in some other sports
2: yeah yeah no it's it's funny you bring that up because i think about that all the time um when i started downhilling i was just amazed at the, the level of support that was potentially available because i was basically comparing it to none especially with usac doing like trips for juniors and helping partially fund those that was just inconceivable to me because I mean I went to junior worlds for ski cross and got second and and none of that was paid for for me or and and nothing was given to me as a result of it from the U.S.
0: Wow well let's talk about 2017 then you brought up you got some great support that year and you went out to the world cup in 2017 but I'm curious You know, what gave you the desire and the belief that you could go compete at World Cup mountain biking? Um, I mean, at that point in time, 2017, there weren't a lot of other U.S. junior girls going out to the World Cup. So it's not like you could look and say, yeah, there's this pathway. And like, I know these girls, I've seen them and raced against them. I know I can do that, too. I mean, there wasn't the competition even in the U.S. amongst elite women wasn't huge in 2017. So yeah, what kind of gave you that desire and that belief that you could go compete?
2: Um, I mean, I've always been a, a very competitive person. I love competition, and it just seemed to me like a, a golden opportunity. I, I honestly didn't have a lot of fear or anxiety around racing. I definitely have more of that now with a little bit of age. But yeah, at that point in time, I was kind of just stoked. I didn't really question uh, whether or not I was good enough. I just wanted to ride the courses. I wasn't really concerned with results or anything like that. And yeah, the, the courses did chew me up and spit me out a bit, but I'm, I'm still glad for the experience and yeah, glad that I went.
0: And that entire season was a breakthrough season for you. It was your first pro class win at Eastern States Cup at Sugarbush you were second at the national championships in snowshoe, and then you went to Mont-Saint-Anne and you got second place um, at your first Junior World Cup and like had a really good time. But tell me about that experience, showing up to the World Cup and then standing on the podium.
2: Yeah, it, it was very unexpected for sure. And Mont-Saint-Anne, I will say, um, even with my lack of fear at that time, Mont St. Anne scared me pretty bad and still does to this day it's one of the courses that i would say i struggle with the most it's just so long and fast and brutal and yeah at, at that race i i i feel like i probably did like four runs in total or less i was cry, i was definitely crying at some points so i was like i don't wanna <laughs> i don't wanna do my run but when it when it came down to it, I was actually able to ride the whole thing and do it cleanly, and yeah, I, I I couldn't be happier with that. Especially at that time, it was it was crazy.
0: And I don't know if I'm probably reading too much into this, and I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but your time was a 5:51, and obviously the tracks change over the years, but um, it would have been 11th in elite. Now, obviously, you guys raced like earlier in the day. Um, mm-hmm. and there's practices and everything afterwards, but, um, I just thought that was really impressive. And maybe to your point, you were just coming in pretty fresh and, and ready to let her eat.
2: Yeah. The The funniest thing about that is that my first year, at least at Mont St. Anne, I went around the Stevie Smith drop, which I, I'm guessing, you know, how bad that go around is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't think I ever did that after that year, but I still don't really know how I even got that time going around that drop doesn't really. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you also went to Australia in 2017 uh, I think you and Samantha Soriano, Caitlin Melvin were representing the U S at world championships in Karens and you ended up ninth place at that race. What was that experience? Like, were you with some USA cycling folks?
2: Yeah, yeah, I was uh with, with the whole USAC gang. Dak was there, uh, Bruce Klein, Throwback, was there. And I, I think that was, like, my first really, really big international bike race, I would say, excluding the World Cups. But obviously that felt mm-hmm. an, like another level, and being in Australia for biking was crazy. I definitely think I really struggled with the terrain at that race cuz it was so so different than anything I've ever ridden um just fast and so dry and that that was definitely another one where I had some struggles but ultimately uh made it to the finish line
0: and you continued to do uh world cups your second year in juniors in 2018 you were at Val de Sol and Val Nord, but it, I think you were DNF at both of those races. But was that also a USA Cycling Developmental program?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was. I uh, popped my shoulder out at both.
0: Oh, the beginning of the shoulder saga.
2: Yes. Fun stuff.
0: But you went back to Mont-Saint-Anne that year and were on the podium again. Uh, In third place, Samantha Soriano was second, and Valley Hall was first. Mm -hmm. Could you tell that Valley had it in her back then at that race?
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, she if I remember correctly, she beat the both of us more than handily, and I'd I'd never seen someone my age, I actually think she's a year younger than me, Mm -hmm. um, be that powerful. She was just so strong and so confident even then. It was... just another, another level. So that was very inspiring to see. I was like, wow, even, even women our age are capable of being absolutely insane on the bike.
0: Yeah. And she continues to, to raise the level. And speaking of raising the level, you went elite in 2019. And what was your support like kind of jumping up from juniors to elite? I know that you were riding for pivot that year. Um you were doing a ton of ski racing. You went to Snowshoe World Cup and then the World Championships at Mont-Saint-Anne. But yeah, how was that 2019 season, your first season in elite?
2: I I would say that that was a a good season for me. I was happy with it. Especially my my ESC races went very well. I would end the, the national races. I definitely struggled at World Champs that year pretty badly. But I I was happy to have the opportunity to try to tackle MSA again. And my my shoulder issues came back that year. I'd I'd gotten the shoulder surgery the winter before, but popped it out again fully like mid that year and just kept running it. So there was definitely some physical and mental stuff at play, but Moving up to elite didn't really feel that odd since I'd already been racing it in ESC and, uh, the nationals are a bit of a higher level, but there's some familiar faces either way.
0: Yep. Yeah. Frida was doing a lot of the national races and Mm -hmm. I mean, Frida was actually top 10 at, um, at Mont Saint Anne in 2017. So yeah, I mean, she, she had been doing it at a high level for a while. Yeah. Well, and then we roll into 2020, obviously a weird season for everything involved, but you continued to have really good success at the Eastern States Cup. It was your second series championship and you were at that infamous world championships race in Leo gang and you were 12th place representing the USA, which is pretty amazing. Uh, because that race just chewed some people up, like big names, DNSing, DNFing, couldn't even make it to the start line or make it down the course. Yeah. Uh, but you managed to to come into 12th. W- what did you find to put together a run like that?
2: <laughs> you know, I'm not entirely sure. I think sometimes I, I definitely have an easier time mentally when races are just absolutely on like destroyed tracks. Because then it's, you know, it's about survival. You're not pushing to, like, the very edge of your ability at a race like Leo Gang 2020 because you're going to go down, like, immediately, at, at least in my opinion. Um, I, I just tried to stay upright, and that was definitely one of the craziest runs of my life, as I'm sure it was for everyone that was there and the hardest it was so long in that mud but yeah I, I also think I'm very comfy in the mud Vermont is generally a pretty muddy place ESCs are muddy races like 80% of the time and I also think that the skiing translates over the best in really muddy conditions because that's when it feels the most similar to me
0: interesting interesting I've, I've never heard that of- but I can see that because you're, you're sliding, and skiing, you're sliding the whole time. You're either on your edge, you're on the flat, you're transitioning. Interesting. Yeah, and listeners that haven't seen footage from that 2020 World Championships at Leo Gang, just look at it on YouTube. It was the year that they put in the new, that year they were the new wood sections, but you know some of the real beat-up, super steep wood sections that we've seen uh, the past couple of years at Leo Gang, but it was fresh. And it just rained all week, from what I remember, and just horrendous yeah. mud. And, I mean... It also snowed. Oh, it did? Wow, it yeah. was cold and muddy. Well, How steep are those steep sections at Leogang compared to, to other tracks? I mean, is there even anything in the U.S. circuit that has woods that steep? Tracks we've raced in the past five, six years?
2: I I don't think that there's any tracks... In the U.S. that we've raced in in like the last five years that are that steep, I would say Windrock probably has some terrain and obviously a few other places that is uh, comparable, but I don't think that they've run races on those tracks. I I would say it's like most similar to Andorra, maybe like not quite as bad, but Andorra or the old Andorra track, I should say. it is is, it's very steep it's it's (laughs) incredibly steep
0: did you have like 220 brake rotors or was this before the advent of those bigger brakes or and yeah what bike were you on
2: um i was on my gt then the uh older fury uh medium frame full 27.5 at that point thank goodness you didn't have a big back wheel yeah no, that I don't think that that would have worked out well for me on that track. Yeah, it I I didn't have any uh larger sized rotors or anything. I I was just running what I brought and yeah, it was <laughs> I couldn't clip in like halfway down the course. I ripped my goggles fully off of my helmet because I forgot to bring tear-offs and it took me like 30 seconds to actually like get them off of my helmet. And so, obviously, I just kept getting mud in my eyes the rest of the way down. It, Yeah, it didn't exactly feel like a race run. It felt like getting to the bottom.
0: Who else was over there on the USA team?
2: Um, I think it was just Abby and Anna, I want to say, for the women. Mm-hmm. And then I think there was, like, Dante and Dak, obviously, and Luca and, you know, the whole gang.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it it is it's kind of cool like the non-factory US riders at the World Championships cuz everybody, you know, kind of stays together. You know, the big dogs have their support and they've got their processes, but I just had a blast at that 2019 World Championships at Mont Saint-Anne chilling with the crew. I was the the team dad. I don't know if you know <laughs> the story um when we rolled up to register Caroline for World Championships that year. The some of the guys from USA Cycling just happened to be there talking in, from the delegation. And so, you know, me being the talkative guy I am, just introduced myself and, you know, like, yeah, I've announced U.S. National Championships, like trying to kind of give myself some credentials. And I just asked, I said, you guys wouldn't happen to have another team delegation pass, would you? And the guy's standing right there. He's like, I don't know, do we? And asked the folks at Mont Anne, like, yeah, we got an extra credential right here.
2: That's awesome. So I
0: had a backstage pass. That's how I was able to take all the video for folks and get in between the ropes. And I was sitting beside like the French Federation, their timing sections. And I had two iPhones. I had a work phone and a personal phone. just like trying to get as much footage as I can to bring back to the house at night. I love that. I felt like I really contributed as much as I possibly could have. And I I appreciate everybody listening to my line advice and not telling me that I didn't know what I was talking about.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it. At least offering other options is better than nothing, even if people don't take them.
0: Yeah, or you can just use the clips for Instagram, whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah. You're getting something out of it either way.
0: Well, Roland, after 2020, you, you actually had a kind of a gap in, in your World Cup finishes. You went to Europe in 2021. You actually started off 21 with a, a third place at the Tennessee National you know, which is a great result. There's always a super strong field there at Windrock, and it's the first race of the season. You've just come down from the snow. So, yeah, it looked like that season was off to a great start. You went over to Europe but were a DNS at the first World Cup of the year. Was that the continuation of the shoulder saga?
2: Which World Cup was that again?
0: 2021 Leah Gang, round number one. And then I think you were still over there – for Crankworks Innsbruck too.
2: Yeah. So I I think I did do Leo Gang, but DNS Leger.
0: Roots and Rain. i might have had it off. Yeah.
2: It's okay. I dislocated my shoulder again fully in Innsbruck and went and got an MRI and they were like, You're you're messed up, dude. You shouldn't ride a bike in a week or two which would be léger. So I just hung out on the sidelines and did what you did at Mont St. Anne.
0: So that obviously put a damper on the rest of the season. Yeah. Because a uh, a dislocated shoulder with a negative MRI is, yeah, it's not something that you can really rehab back to a a high level of racing. But in 2022, you had an awesome result at national championships, and I was there in Winter Park, Colorado, uh, in a very competitive field. Um, You got the bronze medal. What did that mean?
2: That, I... I probably, mm, that's probably, like, my proudest racing achievement to date because, I mean, Winter Park is at altitude. That's hard enough uh, for us lowlanders here. The terrain is not super in my comfort zone. The dirt feels weird to me. I was sick that week. I, I just... Felt really good on that run and pushed really hard physically. And, yeah, that was that was an amazing mm-hmm. week. And I also had my new sturdy shoulder to help me, which is huge for that whole season.
0: Yeah, that, that was a, a super tight race, if I remember correctly. Well, Kaylee Skelton was national champion, mm-hmm. but Abby Hoagie was, like, less than a second behind her, you know, so... Really tight racing there at the top of the women's field.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. And I, I did uh, do quite a few training runs with Abby. So I, I I owe her some credit to my third result. She's a great person to ride with and get lines from and all that.
0: Well, 2023, you kept it pretty local to the Northeast last season.
2: Mm-hmm. It,
0: it was basically all Northeast races on the calendar. Um, You came down to the national championships in North Carolina. Yeah, How was last year for you?
2: Last year was definitely a bit of a struggle for me. Um, I just graduated college last spring, and then I pretty much immediately started working full-time. So I think trying to figure out how to juggle working full-time and racing was a pretty big challenge for me, even though I luckily work remotely. Still tricky. And I, with finishing school, I did not do everything I could to prepare for that season because I was just, you know, wrapped up in (laughs) trying to finish all my classes and get my degree. So it was, I would call it just kind of a building season for me, getting comfortable again and working on mental health stuff, especially, and trying to get strong going into the next season.
0: Well, huge congratulations on the degree. I remember. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I remember that final year of, of my undergraduate and yeah, trying to get everything together. I still have nightmares about it. I mean, I think a lot of people do <laughs> still have like dreams. It's,
2: it's not a fun time.
0: Where you forgot to go to a class or forgot to write a paper. So what did you get the degree in?
2: Um, health and Society, which is essentially a public health degree.
0: Nice. <laughs> Well, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to uh, seeing where you build in 2024. And what are your goals for the season? Um, Are there any particular venues or particular races that you have uh, circled on the calendar that you really want to focus on?
2: Um, I, I haven't made like a full on schedule for myself yet, but I'm definitely going to be doing a couple world cups. Not sure which yet, because I do need to grab some UCI points. Or or I can petition. Either way. And yeah, I just I wanna make sure that I'm like as strong as I can be and as prepared as I can be. So I'm not quite sure which World Cups I'm doing yet, but I'm looking forward to the new national series that's coming out. That should be super fun and I'll definitely be going to all of those. And I think definitely one of my biggest goals is getting back on the podium at Nationals. I would I would really like to see that happen. And yeah, that'd be
0: fun. There could be two GT wild Rye uh, podium finishers in national championships this year.
2: Yeah, that would be even better.
0: Awesome. Yeah. We really look forward to seeing you at the monster energy pro downhill series. Of course, gravity co-op will be there covering it making the video replay shows. We want to get you on the show. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Round one at rock Creek. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to be there. Just see everybody. I think vibes are going to be extremely high. And they've just continued to improve Rock Creek, even you know from where it was at National Champs last year. So I think folks will be uh, blown away with all the changes.
2: Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. It was, it was really cool to see it at Nationals, and there's really no other place like it in the U.S. that I've been. It's a pretty prime spot for World Cup training, from what I can tell.
0: Oh, it is. I mean, it, it feels like you're at summer camp but it's a downhill summer yeah. camp.
2: What could be better?
0: Well, I've got a couple wrap-up questions, just some bigger picture questions. I'm curious to get your thoughts on. So, what would you say the state of women's downhill racing is on a global scale right now going into 2024? Cuz you've you've seen it kind of from when you got into the World Cup scene in 2017 and the junior women's class was not large back then, but we're you know, seven years down the road. So, yeah, what would you say the state of, like, international downhill racing is for women?
2: I mean, I, I think we're in a very unique and cool spot right now. Uh, when I started, as you said, there was barely any juniors, especially in the U.S. and globally. It was, I, I think Karen's was by far the most, and I, I want to say there was, like, 12 uh, junior women there. Most of the other races I I was at had more like six at most. So that is hugely different now. There's so many more junior women and damn, are they quick. I feel like there's just been an explosion of girls between Mm -hmm. like 12 and 18 that are going insanely fast and they're just going to completely transform the landscape of women's dh and i'm looking forward to seeing that happen
0: i couldn't agree more yeah couldn't agree more it's just a super strong scene on a global scale and yeah that elite class is very very competitive um so yeah. it should be a spicy season
2: yeah it's gonna be a wild one
0: and then the follow-up question is what would you say the state of domestic women's downhill racing is um here in the united states i guess both on the pro and the amateur side
2: I think that uh, there's still been an increase in uh, in domestic female downhillers, but it's not quite at the scale that like jun- that you would see in like junior women's uh, downhill World Cups. I mean, I-, I think it depends on the series you're looking at as well. For ESC, I feel like the women's pro levels have or rider amounts have stayed pretty level like it It hasn't changed much but i w- I would like to see that increase and the, the same goes for amateur but one cool thing that is going to change about esc is that they're adding back in the cat one category for uh women awesome so i think that should help encourage more people to get into it because you know amateur to pro is a pretty Intimidating jump for a lot of people and I can't blame them for that
0: 100% agree And that's that's kind of right on where my last question was, which is how do we continue to grow? um, Elite women's racing in the US and I love that you pointed out the cat one category because I agree I think that that's such a crucial stepping stone for such a long time. It was either you know, just kind of amateur and pro like you said and it's just a big jump because someone that might have like really good skills and is, you know, maybe putting it to the amateur category, they've got a, the only other category is to go race Maisie Hayden. And they're like, well, she's been racing World Cups. I, you know, will just stay down in amateur. But the addition of the Cat One classes have, uh, I think, made a huge difference. Downhill Southeast has two women's Cat One classes this year, they added a junior uh, category. Mm-hmm. So, there's a Cat 1 junior women, and then there's a Cat 1 open women, an open age class.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that is definitely like a really good step. I've never agreed with the argument that it should be like numbers based. Oh, there's not enough women to have three or four different categories. Um, I, I don't think that that matters. I think what matters is people being in a category that is appropriate for them and that they feel comfortable in. And if we have those categories, then it only makes sense that more women would want to then compete and the categories will grow in size.
0: Yep. 100% agree. And I'm looking forward to a great 2024 season, Maisie. Stoked to see the GT Wild Rye team in the wild at Rock Creek in April for round number one of the Monster Energy Pro Downhill National Series. I can feel 70 and sunny on my skin already.
2: Well, I mean, I I personally wouldn't mind some rain, but I guess <laughs> I guess sunniness sounds good too.
0: Well, there'll be some moisture whether or not it's rain or just North Carolina humidity, one or the two.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it'll be a little a little slippery in some places either way probably.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Nico, he wants to cook up some technical sections. He might be out yeah. there with the hose just to just to put in some slippery roots.
2: Might oil up some of the rocks. That'd be exciting.
0: We'll see. They're always up to something at downhill summer camp. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, thanks so much, Maisie. This has been awesome, and we can't wait to see you out this 2024 season.
2: Thank you for having me. I I can't wait to be out there, too.
0: Well, we'll stick a mic in your face again sometime later this year and check in.
2: Excellent. I look forward to it. See you. Bye.
0: Man, that was super fun talking with Maisie. We'll definitely be hearing more from her and the GT Wild Rye squad this season.
1: The GT Wild Rye is kind of what our US racing scene needs to raise the level of racing in these women's categories moving forward. Getting that level of competition higher is what I think it's gonna need to take to usher these women to the World Cup level. And Killington's competitive DH scene is rad. Like they're producing some excellent competition there. But they're also just, like, chill people, and I I love the riding up there. I I pretty much love everything about Vermont, actually, except for the wintertime.
0: Man, I I wish I could have been there uh, when you guys were at Killington U.S. Open this year, and I agree. That scene is super rad. The Killington Mountain School team was showing out last year at Downhill Southeast. I mean, I know they've been a big part of the Eastern States Cup scene, but we got to see them in full force uh, down in our neck of the woods last season. And I'm looking forward to seeing all these GT Wild Rye ladies putting on a show at the races this year, particularly at the U.S. Open in their backyard at Killington. And we're going to look forward to filming
1: it. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Again, we cover the pro women's uh, category as well as the pro men's. So we're going to be looking forward to see Maisie on our wrap-up show.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for sticking around. Uh, that's it for episode three drew i know you've got a pretty cool interview drop it on episode four um so we'll tease that a little bit
1: yeah i heard you got a good one in the bank it is a good one and uh here's a hint it's actually uh with the team manager of of another team that is all pro women oh i love the theme
0: here Well, stay tuned, folks. We'll have another episode dropping next week. That is a wrap for Episode 3 of the Gravity Cooperative's Hot Seat Podcast. I'm Will Washam with Drew Hager. Catch you next week.
1: Yep, and uh, we got some merch on the way, so look forward to buying some of that from us to help support what we do here. Please follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Adios. Peace.